Leadership, potentially a shapeless concept. Government, perceived as overwhelmingly large. Put the two together, government leadership, and you can distill it down to big and cold. Interested instead in a space where government leadership might be personal and warm? Maybe that would look like a one-on-one conversation with those we choose to speak for us in our own neighborhoods, our local leaders. We see them walking their dogs, shopping in our grocery stores, talking with neighbors in the coffee shop, cheering from the Little League sidelines, witnessing community tragedy, solving problems, and generating opportunities. From Studio 67, I'm Ginger Delegal, and this is Pack and Chat, 670 seconds with Florida's local leaders. Welcome to the second season of Pack and Chat, brought to you by Studio 67. This season features a bundle of interviews with the past presidents of the Florida Association of Counties who are still in county office. They're a seasoned bunch of local and state leaders with a unique perspective on county officials and on Florida in general. We're excited to bring you these conversations. Joining me today is Commissioner Carson Turner from Hendry County, a small rural county in the Lake Okeechobee region of the state. Commissioner Turner is a former football player and coach. He is currently running the family commercial electrical service company, which takes him all over the world and underwater, which he'll tell us more about that in a second. He runs a small ranch and he's a county commissioner several times over. Welcome Commissioner Turner to Pack and Chat. It's good to have you with us this morning. So good to be here, so good to be here. Well, let's pick up right where I sort of left off. Can you can you tell our listeners about what I call for you your day job, your electrical company and, and where it takes you in the world and why it takes you underwater? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my dad started it in 1972. Uh, he and Mama were uh, getting out of the United States Air Force and he moved back down to South Florida, started a little service company kind of blossomed into a handful of things. Uh, 1986, he was driving over a bridge. Uh, sales rep tells him, hey, boy, you really ought to look into getting into these bridges. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made. And uh, he did. We, since then, have become one of the state's perennial leaders in making sure that the Florida Department of Transportation on the competitive bid process uh, has their infrastructure uh, running so that when you press a button in that bridge tender house, the bridge goes up safely, comes down safely, and uh, and allows pedestrians uh, to walk across it, drive across it, uh, bike across it, and then allows boats to come up and under it uh, safely. Couple that with, uh, I'm 15 years old, looking at one of my daddy's plans, and uh, we have a quote that was absurdly high to do the uh, underground lightning protection system because when those bridges get hit by lightning, it messes up a lot of stuff, so they have to have really high end lightning protection systems and he challenged me to put that lightning protection system in on my older brother at age 15 and quite frankly we probably broke a number of laws doing it but we did it and that has blossomed into a heck of a commercial dive operation um that i have uh, have really taken the reins over myself and my brother's running our outside field um in the electrical aspect We've moved into water control structures, and we're moving into second-generation ownership. And it's going to be interesting. Um, The the state of Florida is investing hundreds of millions of dollars, if correctly, billions of dollars into their infrastructure to keep moving uh, people around safely. And uh, and we're part of that process, and and it, it, it is a massive stink. 
We we bid work and perform work in almost 67 counties. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to uh, be in this role where I get to go out and look at our state and look at it with a fine tooth comb. And, you know, there's days where it breaks your heart when you're driving on, you know, County Road, Highway 54 in, um, in, in Pasco County and you see stuff that has been, you know, you see flora and fauna that has been there for generations and you, you know, you go back by the next month and next thing you know, that that's a shopping center or a Publix or a housing development, but that's what they call development, you know? And so we, we're trying to balance that out in the state, but I really do. I really do uh, have to pinch myself sometimes at, at my job because it allows me to go all over the state of Florida and it really is important. It is an amazing state, and I often call Florida the true land of opportunity in this country, even. I think that there are so many ways that people from all around the world and all around this country can start their lives here, finish out their lives here, uh, become entrepreneurs, business people, community leaders. Um, really, the, the doors are open to Florida which always makes me curious for those of you that sit in county office and are elected officials as to sort of your Florida story. So Carson, how did you get here? How did you get to Florida? Yeah, yeah that's a cool story, actually. Uh, so dad is born in, uh, dad is born in Hong Kong uh, on a United States Air Force base. And um, mama, uh, his, his mama, my grandma, uh, and his dad decided they're going to, they're going to get out of the air force. They moved back to an uh, area outside of Cairo, Georgia. The economy's not doing very well in the interim on the other side of the equation. Uh, there's a young lady named Catherine Turner, but goes by cricket. And, um, my grandma and grandpa on that side, um, grandpa has a third grade education. He is struggling in school in Jacksonville, Florida. And there's a lady that's in a vehicle coming down from Missouri uh, called Grandma. They were in Maryville, Missouri. So I've always been told I'm stubborn as a Missouri mule, and I think it rings true. And uh, Grandma and Grandpa met when uh, when he was 18. Grandma was 17. He was working at United States Sugar Corporation on the brakes that stop the train cars uh, that, that bring the cane to and from the mill. And grandma was, was filling up gas at a gas station at Baldry Ceramic Shop. Uh, they met and fell in love, had cricket. She was the first of uh, three babies that they had. Dole was the second of five that Pete and Manitana had, just 15 miles uh, across the county line in Glades County. So I've always joked and said I'm a half-bred to everyone. I'm half Glades and half Henry County. Cricket and Dole had me. I was a mistake. I came a long way after the other two older brothers. And born in Pahokee, Florida, we really, we really were growing the company when I, when I hit the ground running, but it's just amazing how my, my family on both sides is tied to Georgia and then Missouri. And then, you know, they, they resettled down here in South Florida. We've never looked back. Now all the family is in, is in the Hendry County area. Um, and it's just been an amazing experience. And I was blessed Ginger, to be raised by an outdoorsman that had, you know, two older brothers that we were not allowed to stay inside. So he really expressed upon us to understand this state and routinely on like a Martin Luther King weekend or a labor day or a Memorial day or whatever it was that we had a three day weekend. 
my brother Kevin and I would get this mysterious illness around 11 a.m. on Thursday, and Doyle would come up to the school with the boat hooked up to the back of the truck, and the principal going, really, Doyle? They got to go see the doctor. He said, Mr. Espinosa, I'm sorry. These boys have got to go get checked out by the doctor, and I've got to get them. And uh, so we'd load up in an F-150 single cab, and we'd drive all the way down to Everglades National Park in Flamingo and have a blast on a three-day weekend. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was. It was absolutely awesome. So. So you've been all over the world with jobs, not only, you know, as a football player, but also obviously in your electrical service company. But I mean, you even vacation all over the world. So why do you stay in Florida? I stay in Florida because I have luck between my toes. Um, (laughs) I've tried, you know, I've tried to have the concept of even, even, thinking about, you know, I want to have a second home or something somewhere else if I'm fortunate enough to ever get to that bracket. And I, I, I can't do it. I can't pull the trigger. The peninsula is bred through me. Uh, it, it routinely shocks me with its awe and beauty, uh, with its destruction, with its opportunity, as you talked about. Uh, you, go, you go down to Everglades National Park and you sell up on Cape Sable, or you ride up on the Northwest Cape or Shark River Slough or Lawson's River, and I can go on and on with just different points, Highlands Beach. And these are areas that, I'm sorry, but, you know, it, 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 I, the Spanish conquistadors came around the corner. That's exactly what they would have saw. You know, yeah. I mean, it has, not, it has not been touched since then, you know. But then you turn around and you take your tail to St. Augustine and you, and you, you, you look at that. But then stay on 95 and keep running south and go to the, the megalopolis of, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and now extending on up into Martin County. And this state is just, it's mesmerizing on, on the opportunities that it provides and what it does day in and day out. You know, we've seen an influx since then, but whenever Governor Scott was in, in uh, the governor's mansion, we were essentially having the state of Idaho coming to visit us every day. And we know why. I mean, yeah. we live here. We, yeah. we choose to be here. and We understand it completely. And the, the majestic the majestic nature of this state from top to bottom is, is nothing more than amazing. So in all of that majesty, at some point you must have been struck by lightning in order to decide to run for county commission. So why did you do that? I, I, it's a great story. Um, my entire life growing up, you know, I never really met a stranger. My grandpa, uh, the one that had the third grade education, was a huge mentor of mine. I'd sit out on, on the porch with him until the mosquitoes came and we'd have to go inside. <clears throat> and he'd be smoking his Marlboro or Vantage Lights, drinking his old Milwaukee, telling me I can't do these things when I get older. And <laughs> Sounds like a grandpa. To, we would, he was, man. We would listen to talk radio. And... It was amazing how many people would drop in to talk to my grandpa and get advice on whatever. And uh, and a gentleman that that routinely was Sheriff Earl Dice, and then it was Sheriff Sermon Dice. And it was just, it was an amazing experience to witness that at an early age. And then grandpa would see how I interacted with, with people my own age and then with, you know, with other adults and stuff. And he would say, boy, you're going to be sheriff of this county one day. You're going to be sheriff of this county one day. Well, then as I start to get into, you know, my own educational experiences and I hit middle school and I hit high school and you start seeing the signs go up and all that, I kind of made a decision that I was going to run for school board. 
you know, I love education. I loved athletics. I wanted to be able to make an influence on the educational aspects of, of my small county. Well, then I'm sitting as a 10th grader in, uh, in a Denny's off of JT Butler Boulevard Bridge in Jacksonville in Duval County. And I'm reading the Jacksonville Times Union with my dad. We would read newspapers. I still do to this day. I read the Palmies Post and the Fort Myers News Post and the Sunset on the Miami Herald almost daily, cover to cover. But anyway, um, I'm sitting in there and I'm reading the Jacksonville Times Union with my dad. And I read that the school superintendent for Duval County was making $260,000 a year. He was about to get fired. He had a very contentious meeting and he was appointed. And I knew that the school superintendent in Henry County and Glades County, for that matter, were both elected. Mm-hmm. And so it opened up this huge conversation with my dad about what does it mean to be appointed versus elected, what's better versus what's worse. And it just really kind of stunned me all the different uh, facets of that. Fast forward uh, 14 or 15 years, and I am uh, just finishing up a college football coaching career. Uh, I've got my undergrad degree sitting on a shelf. I walk into my hometown bank. I am done coaching at Florida Atlantic University and getting ready to move back to Clifton full-time and get back into the, the family company. And one of my dad's friends from, from birth uh, came up and said, hey, to, to Doyle, said, you ought to think about running for county commission. And Doyle said, I'm not running for anything. But if you want somebody to run for something, this one right here, I, I, can, I can help facilitate and make things available for him with his schedule with work. And I was living in St. Petersburg at the time, running one of our projects, had a long thought process about it, kind of melded it all down, decided to go to a school board meeting, went to a school board meeting in two neighboring counties, didn't really like the atmosphere, went to a city commission meeting, uh, went to a city commission meeting in St. Pete, went to a number of different city commission meetings. And then I walked into a Henry County meeting and a Glades County meeting, and I said, this is where I want to be. I feel as if I can make an influence. Well, I'll be daggum about the same time Hurricane Wilma hits. And I, I, I got a challenge from my community that I grew up in, which is called Hooker's Point, which you can imagine I still have an address at 1994 Hooker's Point Road to this day. Um, so explain that one to your teachers whenever you're learning <laughs> how to get to sign your name and all that That's stuff. Awesome. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I went and talked to, to a handful of constituents and I was challenged to, to do something for our community that had been hit by Hurricane Wilma and had basically been whacked really hard. And they felt as if resources, resources were not being provided uh, quickly enough. And so kind of jumped in at full circle. And how do you know? Uh, that's, that's 05, 06. I started attending everything. I attended board meetings for two years prior to getting elected, sat in the office excuse me, sat in the audience and educated myself to the nth degree and then um, threw my name in the hat to, to see if I could win. It ran in uh, August of 26, I mean, excuse me, August of 08, and lo and behold, I won. Couldn't believe it. It was Universal Primary. Um, I beat out a guy that was named Bo Pelham, and for most of my childhood until I was probably 17 or 18, we referred to him as Uncle Bo because he attended every family reunion, he attended every everything, and if you talk to grandma, she'll have you related to everybody pretty much in our town and through like seven cousins away and one grandma to somebody else, he was somehow related. So we just called him Uncle Bo and that was kind of odd whenever you beat that guy. But 
long story long, that's that's how I became a commissioner, and I have really enjoyed it since then. It has been it has been one of the great joys of my life, being able to influence uh, policy and also help people that are in desperate need from time to time, and then just deal with issues that are that are sometimes small in scope but very personal to people, and you're you're able to help facilitate you know getting that done, so to speak. What do you find most challenging about being a county commissioner today? That's, that is very easy uh, for me to answer. The most challenging aspect of being a county commissioner today is not allowing the chatter that is driven at you from a personal slash vindictive, visceral area to A, get a response from you, and B, not allow it to gnaw at you even when you are able enough to stay calm and not react to it. You still want to lash out, and I'm a I'm a fiery person. I uh, I have a tendency to speak my mind, and so when someone when someone says something to you that is essentially off base, but challenges you from a standpoint of you're you're not doing what you said you were going to do, or you're not doing what you should do. You don't care about us, and you want to you know you literally want to grab people, or at least I want to grab people and shake them and say, really, how dare you? You know, I, there are so many opportunities out there, and I am doing everything in my power to to stay centered on this and keep my scope, uh, you know, locked in on this target and make it happen. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes when you get that challenge and it gets hammered at you, and you and you you, you cannot react because if you react, you're you're going to come from an emotional response place that is not healthy. It's not good. And it's not going to be what needs to be done anyway. It's not going to do anything towards fixing the issue at hand, whether it be small or large. It's, it's just going to make you feel good in the moment. And that's hard to quell sometimes, especially when you're, when you're an aggressive person that likes to view yourself in one of those uh, lights of someone that gets things done. You know, so that's been tough. Well, and certainly in the last 18 months to two years, I would think that those challenges have even been greater as our communities have become so polarized um, around issues related to COVID. So when you're in those moments, Commissioner, how do you what do you draw upon to help keep you keep you centered and to do the hard thing, which is to not react? in that moment, but to stay focused on the goal. I, I mean, are there literally, are there things that you say to yourself in your head? Are there, you know, old sayings or quotes that you draw upon? Is there, how, how do you handle that in the moment? What do you draw upon to keep you, to keep you centered and to keep you focused and moving forward in those moments? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about that without getting emotional, uh, but I'm going to do my best. But I draw to the most mothering figure in my life, and that would be my grandma, who was who my mom's mom, um, who was the definition of uh, that example of unconditional Christian love. You know, love them through anything. She used to say to me all the time, "Kill them with kindness, kill them with kindness." And if somebody does something to you that's bad, or if somebody tries to kidnap you, or if somebody tries to be mean to you. Just look at them and, and say, my grandma wasn't like that, you know, and I know that sounds so hilarious and so hokey and so just backwards, but it is amazing how calming of an effect that has on me. And then I, and then I lean towards uh, blocking out, but I, you know, the devils that I have are, are Kenneth and Kevin, the, the two most influential people in my life, my older brothers, 
um, I block out them saying, hey, man, don't let somebody talk to you like this. And I know that sounds hilarious as well, but, you know, it was it was protect yourself at all costs and be as aggressive as you could possibly be in any situation. And quite frankly, my brothers are a wee bit wrong on that. But they trained me to be, you know, to have that mindset of, because I was the runt in the family, so they just, you know, they beat on me and said, hey, you're, you're, you're going to be able to achieve more than what we ever did. And so it's funny how now, you know, I'm a 45-year-old adult that's trying to balance these things. And then, you know, I have employees of my own that are just babies. And, yeah, it's, it's wild to, to have to recenter, focus yourself, breathe it, breathe through whatever it is that's aggravating the, the, oh, man, just getting you crazy. And, you know, Ginger, uh, thank God I was able to, you know, I was, I'm the only person in my family that was college educated until my niece came along. And then my brother ended up going back to school. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, I'm so thankful that things allowed for me to go to school. And in doing that, you know, I was, I was able to understand the concept of wellness. I was able to understand the concept of, you know, this is hilarious, but, you know, on our Sunday dinners or, you know, regular lunch, we'd have three red meats and, and, a brown gravy and a white gravy and four starches and maybe, you know, some lettuce with a bunch of mayonnaise slash with Hidden Valley Ranch over it. And you say, okay, what are you driving at? Well, I went to, I was educated to went to college and understand the concept of wellness. Well, now as you get older, you start to, to not only do physical wellness, but you do a spiritual and a mental and, and a physical and you, you, you put the whole triangle there together. And I will tell you with, without the physical exertion of working out without the concept of yoga and breathing through things and, and centering myself and understanding how all of those energies work. And I know that may sound trippy to a lot of people, but I, I am very convicted to the concept of you have, you have to, in this position, be able to block out those things, refocus yourself and, and realign at what it is you are trying to accomplish in this position. And how are you, how are you going to be able to get there regardless of all the chatter, regardless of all the noise, you know, the, the, the environmental holdbacks, whatever it may be, you've got to be able to block on that and, and then know what it is that you, you utilize to center yourself. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been in Georgia for three days. Um, I was, I was sitting in a deer stand. I could give two flips whether I uh, harvest anything at all. Just the ability to see my blood pressure go down. It, you know, it, it's and it's amazing what it does for you to be able to center yourself like that. And that's one of my vices. I go, I go to Mother Nature. You know, those are simple things. Well, and there's all kinds of scientific research coming out now about the what happens biologically and physiologically physiologically to us when we are in nature. And so um, I think that's I think that's a fascinating way to to explain, you know, your experience in the last three days in a deer stand and what that does to your blood pressure. That is now being scientifically proven as a method um, to to bring some wellness in into your life. So if you we can wrap this up here in just a second, but are, are there things that you wish someone had told you your first 2 years in office as a county commissioner? Yes, yes, I do. Um I wish someone would have told me don't allow your list to get past 5 items. That doesn't mean ignore a constituent. That doesn't mean you know, um, not engage in a number of different facets of, 
of the job or, you know, what it is that you think it all entails. But don't allow your to-do list as it relates to things you want to accomplish to get past three to five items. And, and the reason why I'm so adamant about that is because get strung out and your ability to actually shoot and kill any target almost, you know, it, it gets ordered down to a point where, yeah, you feel really good about your list of 187 items, but maybe it's 31 items that you want to get done for, for Jane, John, uh, Q Public. But the reality is, is that you, you spread yourself too thin and you're not able to accomplish that. Number one, that's one thing. Number two is understand the difference. And, and this is so hard for rural commissioners. And many rural commissioners, I think, will tell you, well, that's how you get your tail unelected. And I fundamentally disagree. And the point I'm going to make here is don't drill in on the day-to-day work of what it is that your staff is supposed to do. Let staff do their job. Let staff decide where the pothole is for 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 Miss Janine that needs to get fixed, or for for Mister Smith that needs to get fixed, or the ditch that has the plug in it. You can relay that message to staff, but in no way, shape, or form should you be out there physically trying to perform that work. And I think in our rural counties, especially. We are notorious for this. And you go back to the structure of how they were established. I mean, you go back just probably 12, 15, maybe even less years ago, and there was a road and bridge commissioner. There was a recreation commissioner. There was, you know, so there was a public service commissioner. Oh, that's exactly um, right. And I think that, that that's bled through generationally, you know. Yep. And so you, you've got to work that out. But those are things that we've, we've got to get away from because in 67 counties, in a state that has the magnitude that we have, I don't care if it's Liberty, I don't care if it's Glade, I don't care if it's McCullough, Hendry, you name it. Yeah, are we the same animals, Miami-Dade, Broward, the, the Big Seven, Mad Duval, and some of these other horses in there that are growing like a weed? Absolutely not. We are in no way, shape, or form the same animal that they are. But I can guarantee you that when you start mixing that up and you start getting into the day-to-day activities, you redirect so much good energy that the county administrator and the staff superintendents have laid out that you ultimately shoot the county in the foot because a commissioner, unfortunately, and right, wrong, or indifferent, waves a lot of power. A lot of influence is probably the better way of saying it, more diplomatically, if you will, in, in small counties and in big counties alike. But if you start getting in there and you start telling that guy, hey, man, you need the most out of the road versus this side first because, man, yeah, I know that sounds that sounds maybe shocking to some people, but that's one of the things I wish that people would have told me because um, I, I think I, I towed the line of the happy balance there, but I do think that I was a little bit too involved early. And in, and in turn, you know, I see it from other commissioners throughout. And I try to, I try to challenge them. I try to say, hey, listen, remember, that's not our job. It's not our job. And uh, it's hard. It's hard for people to, you know, they, they look at it as if they're letting go or forfeiting something that they earned the right whenever the constituents put them into the position. And the constituents didn't put you in the position to uh, efficiently mow the grass. They put you in the position to make sure the budget's balanced, to be as efficient as you can with the overall operations of that county, and make sure that either your county attorney or the people that represent you from a legal counsel standpoint or the county administrator are getting the job done. That's what they want from us. That's awesome. Thank you. 
I appreciate your time very much today, Commissioner Turner. We're going to let you go, but that's a wrap here from Studio 67. We look forward to another Pack and Chat episode next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.